Father, I thank you for this man. I thank you for the anointing that you have placed upon him. I thank you that you have established him as our leader in this, in this church. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that this morning your word will flow through him, that he is simply the conduit to what you have to say, Lord. We place this time into your hands as a holy time, as a special time, as a time when we focus ourselves on you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Amen. Lord Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, that is, it's just amazing. There's nothing, there's no place better to be than in the presence of God. And um, yeah, this morning's worship was just amazing. Uh, last week, I started a series called ECG, and it was to prepare our hearts for what I'm going to be sharing on this morning. It was, it was, last week was about preparing the soil of our hearts so that when we kind of look in the mirror and see where we're at, we, we can be real about where we are in this faith journey. And today I want to talk about faith and the different levels of faith that we face as Christians and how we can mature, how we can go from one level of faith to the next level of faith. And it's actually a message I heard from Bridgestone, I think, church uh, quite a while ago. And then it just, it really just, it spoke to me. And then I just built up and I, and I let it sink into my heart and I just kind of evaluated where, where I am on this journey um, in a very real way. Because the truth is, even if we are perfect Christians... Serving, and I'm nowhere near that, but serving a perfect God in this world, there will be trouble. And without faith, that tarnishes our view of God, and it leaves us broken and confused. All of us in this room absolutely need to live by faith. And we trusted God at the beginning of the year to take us deeper. So we are trusting God to take us deeper into faith this morning. So wherever you are on your journey of faith this morning... God is going to take you deeper. But we have to be absolutely real, open, and honest about where we are. Um, otherwise, we can put up a good show, but that's not the reality of where our heart is at. So our primary text this morning is Mark 9, verse 14 to 24. And it says this. It should be on the screens any moment now. It, will, it, it might be on the screens. If not, that's fine. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with him. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Could you imagine that was your child? Can't speak, convulsing, throwing themselves in fire, trying to kill themselves. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. With this, uh, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Right in front of Jesus, the enemy was still trying to twist what was happening in this boy's life. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This is Jesus' response. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
How often are we in that place? Lord, I do believe. Yet help me overcome my unbelief. I know you're there, but help me overcome belief. All of us as Christians, if we go through Christianity for any amount of time, then what we do is we go through what, what we call in Christianity desert experiences. Where we feel, and you might feel like you're in a desert experience, you've been through a desert experience, or you will go through a desert experience where your prayers are hitting the ceiling. You have more questions than answers. You know deep down that God is there, but he feels so incredibly far away. Right? And there are various ways that we can learn lessons in life. We can study. We can read books. We can listen to teachings. We can watch educational videos. We can go to school, university, different classes. Um, you know, all of these methods are learning are learning through addition. We're adding something to our lives. Yet sometimes the hardest lessons come through subtraction, not through addition. If you have a child and you take something away from them that they really want that isn't right, then that child is learning through subtraction what has been removed instead of what has been given to them. Essentially, this is what the desert experience is all about, learning through subtraction, giving up what we want in, our, in order to honor God. Um, <clears throat> where all of the things that we feel that we need in order to be happy and enjoy life or to cope or to survive or to numb the pain of life are stripped away. That's Christianity. Um, what's painful about these desert experiences is that they draw out what's truly on the inside. And then we stand and look at the mirror and see who we truly are. And what we so often discover is that so much of our lives are driven by an absolutely overwhelming yet subconscious fear many people many christians are driven by an intense undercurrent of fear i remember when i was living in america for a little while um when i was there i would I was working there we would go to the shops we would leave the car we would leave the car on because it was cold and if it was sunny and cold, we would just, you know, you'd leave the window open, the keys in the ignition, and you'd go inside and you'd shop and you'd come outside and you wouldn't think about the car. And it was just the way that it was. It was that not every area of America is like that. It's just the particular town that I was in. And then when I came back to South Africa, I remember getting to the airport and someone said, have you locked your door? I was like, yeah, okay, I locked the door. And then you get, you know, like, can you close your window at the robot? And, and all of a sudden I started to remember the incredible undercurrent of anxiety that was always on my life that I didn't even know was there. We live with this constant pressure and this constant fear and this undercurrent of fear that we even, that we're unaware of. And, and many people with us live with this undercurrent of fear, not just relating to crime. I'm talking about life in general, the future, finances, our health, our relationships, and so much more. And we seesaw between fear and faith. And when the fear is high, the faith is low and vice versa. And we want to be people of faith. So to simplify this kind of fear that I'm talking about today, it's the anticipation of evil. We constantly have this undercurrent of fear of when is it all going to fall apart? When is it going to go wrong? When are things going to go bad? And God gave us the ability to feel fear as a survival instinct. Right? So fear in itself is not a terrible thing. It's to protect us. It's to protect our health and our relationships and our children. So we have this fear. And in psychology, they say that we have primary and secondary emotions. And today might be a bit more of a teaching because it was a teaching that I heard. But it's something that I hope will really speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to go beyond what I'm sharing today. So we all have primary emotions and secondary emotions. Primary emotions are the instinctive responses that we have to a situation. 
right? Like a car swinging across your path as you're walking, and it's like you're walking on the pavement, for example, it flies over the pavement. And as that car comes over, you have a primary response. You think to yourself, oh my, that nearly hit me, I almost died. So there's this instinctive fear that you get in your heart because it's a primary emotion. And this isn't conscious, it's reactive. It just happens in the spur of the moment. It happens automatically. Fear, happiness, embarrassment, laughter, you know, There's no shame in having those emotions because they happen instinctively. They happen in the spur of the moment. Even anger is a God-given emotion. Ephesians 4 verse 26 says, be angry. That's fine. If if you're angry and you've been angry, that's fine. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger is fine unless it controls or leads you. Right? When it comes to our emotions, Psalms teaches us that we need to pray our emotions and not bottle them up, which I'm learning the hard way. It's easier said than done, I know. All of them, all of the emotions that you're carrying right now, anger, rage, jealousy, doubt, shame, fear, all of the rest. In Psalms, it says, go to God and pray out your emotions. Because if we don't pray out our emotions and process them in a healthy way, then primary emotions, um, I mean, primary emotions become secondary emotions. And we move away from emotions based on external circumstances, based to being the core of who we are. So the emotions that were just an instinctive response become our identity. For example, the primary feeling of hurt, someone hurts you, turns to a secondary feeling of bitterness. Anger turns to hate. Sadness to self-pity. Confusion to despair. And despair is when we've lost hope. Right? It's no longer just how we feel, but who we are. The seven deadly sins, which, which I do realize are not you know, grouped together in the Bible, they run parallel to what God hates. That's how they came up with them. These are all secondary emotions. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, sloth. These are undealt with emotions that have become rooted in the identity of the person that hasn't dealt with them accordingly. They are rooted in primary emotions that have not been dealt with. And fear, if you're taking notes, it's not on the screen, fear is essentially at the root of all the problems in our spiritual lives. Fear is a major attack on our spiritual lives. 1 John 4 verse 18 says this, there is no fear in love. But what does love do? It costs out fear. So we live with this undercurrent of fear. And what happens is our lives have this undercurrent of fear. And when things don't go as expected or as we feel like we can maintain or control, it causes us to do what? We act unlovingly. And unlovingly isn't technically a word. It's acting without love. Um, so what happens is when we are driven by fear, the love is lost. Right? Where fear abounds, the love is lost. And the solution to the problem is what? Faith. Faith is the solution to our fear problem. So as we mature, we, we venture more and more away from f- uh, fear into faith. And we don't let anxiety and trying to control every situation and be in control of everything. But we just sometimes trust and obey God. So what is faith? And how do we mature in it? The Greek word for faith is the word pistis which incorporates a whole bunch. It's actually a Greek word, which, which actually says a whole lot. And in English, we've just narrowed it down to faith. But it means 
It incorporates faith and belief and trust and confidence and reliance and allegiance and faithfulness into one thing. And faith is to be grounded in reality, right? It's not blindly believing without evidence. Well, I have faith and therefore it's like some sort of thing I can't see. It's believing based on evidence. Christianity is not based on a blind thing. It's based on reality. So it's not blind superstition, but it's living in clarity and living according to the clarity that that brings. Elton Trueblood says this, Faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservation. And although it's not a feeling, it does have an emotional component. We cannot detach ourselves from our emotions. Faith is connected, but faith in itself is not just a feeling. At some time, as much as it has to do with what we believe, faith is an action. We put our faith in God. We put our trust and our confidence in God. It's something that we do. It's an action. Um, It's important to note this. Faith isn't just a religious thing. It's a human thing. Like I said last week, everybody in this room, if you are here for the first time, you've never heard of Jesus, you arrived here with faith, right? It's just you placing your faith in different things. All of us place our faith in something. For example, I have faith in this stage. Um, I don't know how much faith I have in this stage, but I have faith in this stage. Um, and, 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 and I'm standing up here and I'll walk around and I'll, I'll be quite comfortable walking around here. If it breaks now, then Hey, that'll help my analogy. But, um, right. So I have, I have faith in this stage. If I didn't have any faith in this stage, then I would rather stand on the floor. I'll preach from down there. If I had very little faith in this stage, I would stand over here ready to jump off as soon as it broke. Right. So that's faith. The question is not, do you have faith? It's who or what do you have your faith in? Jesus invites us to put our faith in him. In other words, um, to put our trust and confidence in him. Like any virtue, faith needs to develop. Faith needs to develop. So we start off weak and through training, faith grows as we exercise it. And every time that we face challenges, we grow in our faith. Right now, my space, stretched in my faith. And people with mature faith are able to find peace even when things are not going well. Uh, I'm, I aim to get there. I'm not there right now. I'm, I'm certainly a work in progress. But people full of faith are generally just relaxed. And there are not that many people like this that are so mature in faith, confident and joyful, knowing that things will be okay, even when things are not okay. They're not born like that. They mature into that. They become like that. So when we look at heroes of faith, We can look at certain traits that they have, certain steps of maturity that they go through to get to that place of incredible faith in God. And so today I want to talk about what those levels are and how we can level up. So the first faith is this. If you're taking notes, the faith of religion. By religion, I don't mean relationally void rules that the word has evolved into meaning, that we all say, you know, religion over relationship. I'm talking about the biblical essence of what religion actually stands for, which is a set of beliefs that explain what life is all about, who we are, and how we should live. Therefore, by this definition, everybody, anybody who claims to have religious beliefs starts here. No matter what their religion, it could be any religion you've heard of, their philosophy, their ideology, their social justice cause they embrace. It in, cre- in Christianity, this level of faith boils down to this. On this level of faith, this is what it looks like. If I, then God. If I do this, then God will do that. If I put my faith in Jesus, 
then I will go to heaven. If I tithe, then God will bless my finances. These are biblical principles of living. That's, that's the first level of faith. The problem with this level of faith is that we can go through life trying to use God as a formula to achieve our end goal instead of His. If I do this, then this will happen. If I do this, then this will happen. And if I remain in control, then that will be the outcome. And what we do is we try and use God for our outcome. Entry-level faith. It's not a bad thing if you're there. It's not a bad thing. No one, there's no shame, and we're all on a journey. So we have to go through this. Therefore, God is there to minimize our pain and maximize our pleasure. That's what he's all about. At this level of faith, we can mistakenly apply principles of Scripture as promises of Scripture. And when they don't work, we are devastated. Absolutely broken. This is when we do the right thing, but still get the wrong result. But faith, you know, says this. Many people in today's society live with this level of faith. And when persecution comes, which it does, they abandon what's right and shun God. Because if I do this, then this must happen. But I did that and it didn't happen. So where is God? He can't be there. He can't be good. This um, reveals that we didn't have faith in God, but faith in what we wanted from God. So when trouble comes our way, which it will, and it does, we step back. I'm just, I'm stepping back. I'm leaving it all. Or we step aside, like Peter Rasmussen, if you missed it, watch the podcast. We step aside and we say, well, I'll put God in a separate category. I'll manage these things, but, and I'll, I'll kind of include God, but I'm not going to really listen to what he's saying. I'm going to keep him in the side, right? Or we step up to the next level of faith. And the next level of faith is the faith of desperation. This is when we hit crisis mode. When there is nothing we can do but trust Jesus. When the diagnosis is bad. When you have no more options. When you've tried everything and you still can't find solutions. Unless God himself intervenes, we are powerless and we know it. This is when we hit breaking point. Like a man in the story in our primary text. This man's little boy is demonized. Can you imagine that kind of devastation? And he has no control of the situation. He has no solutions. He's trapped in his pain. Mark 9 verse 22. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. Jesus responds with, if I can, everything is possible for one who believes. Jesus here is calling this man to believe, despite the fact that he has no control. There is a connection between our level of faith and the release of God's power. I do believe much faith, much power. Little faith, little power. Very little faith in God will still reveal his mighty power. God is God. He's in control and he's sovereign. But when we are in a space of great faith, the power of God is revealed more frequently. John Wimber says that faith is spelled this. R-I-S-K. Faith is spelt risk. We need to step out and trust Jesus in order to see his manifest power. This is a terrifying place to be. Imagine this man in the story. Imagine how broken his heart is. He's, he's risking disappointment and heartache. Imagine, imagine he goes to Jesus and nothing changes. What if things got worse? Yet in his desperation, he calls on Jesus. And in this story... And I don't mean negative or cynical, but not in every story. In this story, Jesus heals his son. But what if he didn't? Like when Jesus prayed, Lord, take this cup from me. 
I'm in a situation I don't want to be in. Yet Jesus, he still went to the cross. And on the cross, he's broken. And he says, Lord, why have you forsaken me? What does he get in response? The heavens are silent. The skies are dark. And this brings us to our next level of faith. And all levels are necessary for our journey. So I don't want you to beat yourself if you feel like you're at any particular level. The final level I want to talk about is the faith of surrender. This is where we don't believe God for a particular outcome. We just believe God. I don't know the outcome. But I trust my good God. That God is good despite what's happening around me. Not my will, but your will be done. Like Job at the end of his life. Can you imagine Job? For those that are new Christians, he went through hell on earth. Like the worst, worst, worst scenario of anyone that could go through anything. Uh, And he says this, after going through all that pain, he says, my eyes have seen the Lord. While repenting in dust and ashes, nothing's restored. And then he's like this, it's time for me to be quiet. I have no more questions. I have no more answers. I've run out of tears. Or Paul saying this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Not because life is so bad, but because his faith is so alive and he's surrounded by the life of God, even in prison and getting beaten and shipwrecked, he says this, Lord, your will be done. This doesn't mean that we abandon all of our desires to a certain outcome because, of course, we want a certain outcome. That's normal, absolutely normal. We don't just abandon our desire. We reorder our desires. In other words, we say this, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Despite the fact that that's not how I want it to work out. Lord, I want it a certain way, but you first. It means that our stability is rooted in faith in God Despite the outcome. Think about this. This I heard and I thought it was actually profound. It was actually really, it hit me hard. Attachment is at the root of all of our fears. It connects us to the prison of fear and holds us back from the freedom of faith. There is a saying that says, our anxieties reveal our attachments. What are you anxious about at the moment? The things that we stress about and lose sleep over and get anxious about reveal our attachments. The things that we are attached to and the things that we think we need in order to be okay. There is a quote that says this. If you look carefully, you will see that there is one thing that causes unhappiness. The name of that thing is attachment. What is an attachment? An emotional state of clinging caused by the belief that without some particular thing or some person, you cannot be happy. Attachment is not a desire. It's an emotional clinging to a desire. It's not just wanting something. It's needing that thing in order to be okay. The, another word that the Bible would use to describe these things is idols. Things that promise peace and happiness and a better future. Instead, they bring anxiety and misery. They remove peace and bring problems and pain. At some point, all that doesn't honor God or hold eternal value will be stripped away. Wow, I don't want to be negative. But the reality is life is not always going to go the way we want it to. And the things that we hold on to and hold dear are not going to be there forever. Like the song says, which is my favorite song of all time. 
Matt Redman, when the music fades and all is stripped away, I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. As this level of maturity and faith, there is a deep, at this level of maturity and faith, there's a deep sense of peace. I aim to get there. Not, to, not a pretend peace. Hey, how you are oh, too blessed to be stressed. You know, I'm not talking about putting on a, a wonderful mask and you're just always happy and everything. Meanwhile, you've got this fear ripping you apart on the inside, but you're putting on a big smile. You know, this is having peace even when the pain is real. This level of faith is not to be emotionally disconnected like a cyborg with no expression or no desires. And, you know, you're just going through life as a robot. It's to be rested in God and in the life that he brings, and to have peace and express yourself with genuine love, despite the fact that we wish things were different. We serve a faithful God who loves us so much. He is a good father. He cares for us. Whatever you are going through right now, no matter how painful, God loves you. Absolutely loves you. He adores you. He's with you. He will never, ever leave you. He will never forsake you. And it's in in him that we find our rest and our peace and our desires and our satisfaction. This is the highest level of faith. No matter what happens, if I have God, then I'm secure. So how do we get to this level of faith? If you buy my book, no, I'm just joking. How do we (laughs) build it up? So how do we get to this level of faith? We mature in two ways. Through active spirituality and passive spirituality. Active spirituality is that we do our part. And passive spirituality is allowing God to do his part. Active spirituality are things like this. Stepping out in faith. Whether it's a big faith project God has been telling you about for a long time. Or it's just you sitting in a coffee shop and God stirs your heart to say something encouraging to the person next to you. Step out in faith. When you step out in faith, your faith starts to develop and grow and mature. And you go through these phases to a mature faith. The next is gratitude. Just starting the day with the right attitude. I woke up this morning, Paula was in the lounge and she was worshipping on her guitar. I woke up to worship and it just did something to my heart. Recognizing what we've got instead of what we haven't got. That's gratitude. The more grateful we are, the more grounded we are. And gratitude expels fear. Because we're not, we're not anxious about what's going wrong and what we haven't got. We just look at what we do and we appreciate it. Which is very easy to lose sight of. The next is surround ourselves with people of faith. I'm not going to labor this one. I can tell you this. This is huge. The value of godly support is monumental. It is, it is beyond what I... I mean, this is a sermon series... Surround yourself with godly people. The next is this. Ask God for more faith. Like the man in the scripture. Faith is not just a muscle, but it's also a gift from God. So that's active. And also, obviously, the basics. Just do the basics. Trust God and step out in faith. And the next is passive spirituality. This is when life tests us to see what's in our hearts. Not so that God can see, because he already knows what's in our hearts. It's so that we can see. I heard another quote that says this. The spiritual journey, and this is my reality. The spiritual journey is not a success story. It's a series of humiliations of a false self. I'll read that again. The spiritual journey is not a success story. It's a series of humiliations of a false self. We think we're something special. We think we're achieving something great. 
I am in that place right now. Jesus wasn't vague about the journey of faith. He says this. He says, pick up your blessings and follow me. That's not what he says. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Faith is not easy. But it pleases God. Pick up your cross and follow me. So I've got two last points in line. I'll be finished in under two minutes. How do we grow in our faith? Number one, we surrender. I surrender all. Number two, we stay faithful to Jesus. Even when we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, we continue to trust and obey God and his word. I see no hope. But I trust you, and I trust your word, and I stay faithful to that. Faith is about faithfulness and staying true to Jesus and his word, despite what we want or feel, and living without the contours of our, I mean, sorry, and living within the contours of our commitment to him and other people, and allowing his plan to unfold in his time. Right now, all of us in this room have an opportunity to hold on to, to cling to Jesus to take us into a deep, deeper place of faith. We trust in God that as we do Alpha, it's not just going to be like, oh, that's nice, of course, I've got some information. That people's lives will be turned around and they'll have, they'll have a hope and a future because they hold on to Jesus. And in this life, things will be stripped away. The things we wear, the things we love, the people we know, the stuff that we connect ourselves to, our material things, our, even our relation stuff goes. And when we surrender in faith, we realize that Jesus Christ is our security and our satisfaction. I'm not there. Pray for me, and I will pray for you.